All right, good morning. How's everybody doing? You in a good mood today? Doing good? Good. Good to see you here. Thanks so much for making River Glen uh, part, of your, uh, part of your Sunday morning. And to uh, get us thinking in the same direction, here's how I want to get started. I want to show you some names. These are some of the most popular boys' names from 2016. And uh, I want you, here's what I want you to do on a count of three in a loud, confident voice. I want you to guess which one is the most popular boys' name for 2016, okay? So nice, loud voice. Uh, which one do you think it is? One, two, three. Well, I don't think uh, we sound a little confused on that, and I don't think we know what it is. And so here it is, Jackson, number one most popular boy's name, 2016. All right, now let's do this. Let's let's rewind a couple thousand years, and these are some popular boys' names from uh, ancient ancient uh, uh, times. And again, on the uh, count of three, uh, nice loud voice. I want you to say the name of the person that you think we're going to talk about today. All right. Nice loud voice. One, two, three. Good, good. Yeah. Judas. We were pretty unified on that one. You know, this name Judas uh, was actually a very popular name back in the first century. And it's mainly because of a a guy by the name of Judas Maccabees, who lived and led a revolt in 167 BC, long before Jesus uh, lived. And uh, because it was a, a successful uh, military endeavor, many Jewish people viewed Judas Maccabees as a great warrior like Gideon and David and Joshua, and so many parents wanted to name their kids uh, Judas because of Judas Maccabees. But after this guy that we're going to talk about today by the name of Judas Iscariot, after he lived, not very many people wanted to name their child Uh, Judas. In fact, the name Judas took a nosedive. My guess is that uh, none of you here have named your child uh, Judas because the name has become synonymous with betrayal and uh, being a traitor. I mean, you know, no mom wants to hold up their baby and say, you know, you know, this is this is Judas. Isn't he a beautiful little thief? Cute little thief. You don't want to do that. And whether you have attended church a lot or maybe you just started attending church, I think we all pretty much know the story. We know what Judas did, right? He was one of the 12 original apostles, and he was very greedy. He betrayed Jesus, and he ended his life. And I think we we all pretty much know everything about Judas. At least we feel that way. And you know what? That's how I felt until I took some time and really studied his encounter with Jesus. And I discovered something that I had not realized before And that is, I have a lot in common with Judas. I personally am a lot like Judas. And I would say there's a little Judas in everybody here. And so what I want to do today as we continue this series called Encounters is I want to share with you three ways that I think all of us are like Judas. And we're going to do this by looking at three different events in his life. Now, I went ahead and printed the, uh, we printed the scriptures in, on the outline in your program, if you have a, a program, but I'm not going to actually take time to read them. I'm just going to tell you about the event, and then we're going to draw a principle from these events in the lives of, uh, life of Judas to, that applies to our lives uh, today. And so here's the first event. Jesus is about 30 years old, and he's just begun his public ministry, and he's got all kinds of people following him, hundreds and hundreds of people following him, but he knows that he needs just a few who will carry out his mission after he leaves. And so Jesus stays up all night. He pulls an all-nighter, prays all night, and then scripture says he gathers his followers together the next day, 
and he chooses 12 of them to be the apostles. And so after a night of prayer, Jesus handpicks 12 apostles to travel with him and to witness the lame walking and the blind seeing. Jesus handpicks 12 apostles to watch him calm storms and heal the sick. Jesus picks 12 apostles that are going to watch him die and be buried and rise again. After a lot of prayer, he, he picks these, these 12 uh, apostles. And so here's the first principle that we can learn from, from Judas. And this is an easy one, okay? This is a simple one. Here it is. It feels good to be chosen. It feels really good to be chosen. Now, this is easy to overlook today. But I think it's important for us to realize Jesus actually picked Judas. And I can guarantee you that Judas and these 11 other guys, they felt really excited and fired up because they were chosen by Jesus. I mean, because it just feels good to be chosen, right? I mean, we like to be chosen. I like to be, I like to be chosen. I remember a few years ago, a friend uh, invited me to come along with him to uh, go to downtown Milwaukee. He, he spoke for this event at, at uh, uh, an event held by the FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, attended by about 500 people. And uh, I didn't have any responsibilities. I'm just hanging out with my friends, just there to support my, my, my friend. And uh, he buys a couple raffle tickets, and he gives me one. I just, I say thanks. I stick it in my pocket. I don't really think much of it. I never win these kinds of things. But at the end of the event, the president of the FCA gets up and says, all right, we're going to have the drawing for the, for the pro grand prize raffle. And the grand prize included Packer tickets, Brewer tickets, Bucks tickets, Badger basketball, Badger football, about $2,000 worth of tickets in this uh, grand prize. And so everybody gets their ticket out, and, uh, and, they're, and they're staring at their ticket. The, the president reaches in the bag, pulls out the, the winning number, and guess who held the uh, winning ticket? Me. Couldn't believe it. I mean, I didn't even buy my own ticket. I did nothing to deserve this prize. But they handed me this envelope. They had me come on stage. They handed me this envelope with all these tickets in it. I tried to get my friend to take some. He insisted. He, he refused. And he wouldn't take any. I go home. And I show these to my, my teenage boys. And I mean, they just go crazy. It's like we won the Powerball in, in, in our house. Because it just feels good to be chosen. To be handpicked. Well, guess what? Here's the good news. Just like Jesus chose Judas and these 11 other apostles, Jesus has picked you. Jesus has chosen you and me. And it doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what you're doing. Doesn't matter what you will do. Jesus has chosen you. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. But there's nothing you can do to stop Jesus from choosing you and loving you. Listen to these great words that the Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Romans, chapter 8, beginning in verse 35. This is in the message. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There's no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing. Look at this. Not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. None of, a, none of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us and chosen us. And that is some good, good news. Jesus has chosen every person in this room. And you know what? This might surprise you, but Jesus doesn't just love you. He likes you. 
And he wants you in his family. He wants you on his team. And it feels so good to be chosen. Well, that's the first thing that we can learn from Judas. Here's the second event. Here's, here's event number two. Jesus and his friends, okay, including Judas, they go to this dinner party in the city of Bethany at the home of Simon the leper. And during this dinner, this woman named Mary, by the way, we talked about her last weekend, Mary makes her way over to Jesus. And Mary has this expensive perfume in this jar. And she takes that jar and she breaks it. And she pours the perfume, starts just pouring it all over Jesus, on his head, on his feet. It's, it's a beautiful gesture of love. But Judas objects and criticizes Mary. He sees what Mary does and he says, whoa, 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 time out. It, it, you know, that perfume could be sold. It's worth a year's wages. We could take the proceeds from that money and give it to the poor. And if we kind of read between the lines, Judas, I think, is, is, is partly sincere, but we also know that Judas had become the accountant, the treasurer, the CFO for Jesus' ministry. And scripture tells us that from time to time, Judas would actually take some money for himself out of the, out of the money bag. And so not being able to sell this perfume would mean less money that Judas could skim off for himself. This is literally like taking money out of Judas' pocket. Judas was greedy, very greedy. That's probably a, an understatement. And whether we've attended church a lot or a little, I think we all know that Judas was very uh, uh, greedy. But what amazes me, what really strikes me, is, is what Matthew talks about right after this dinner at Simon the leper's house. Here's what Matthew says happened next. Judas decides that he has had it. Judas is so upset that he sneaks away and he goes and he makes a deal with the leaders of the Sanhedrin to betray Jesus. And so here's the second principle that we can learn from uh, Judas that applies to us. It's often hard to remain patient with Jesus. It's, hard, it's often hard for a person to remain patient with Jesus. As I, as I prepared for this talk about uh, Judas, I came across some really fascinating articles that, that, that I just found really interesting that raised this question, this question. What if Judas' biggest sin was not greed, but impatience? I mean, think about that for a moment. What if what led Judas to betray Jesus was not just greed? Now, I mean, we know he was greedy. No doubt about it, he was greedy. But what if it was also a healthy dose of impatience? I mean, put yourself in Judas' shoes, okay, for a moment. Put yourself in his, in his flip-flops uh, just for a moment, all right, if, if, if you will. Judas has traveled with Jesus for three years. And Judas believed, at least initially, that, Judas, that Jesus was the Messiah. The Jews had waited and watched for hundreds and hundreds of years for the Messiah. They believed that the Messiah would come and lead a rebellion and set them free from Roman rule. And many of Jesus' friends, including Judas, had jumped to this conclusion that Jesus would build a political kingdom, a military kingdom, an earthly kingdom in Jerusalem. They believed that the Messiah would, would bring power and fame and even political positions for many of these guys. But when that, that didn't seem to happen, at least according to Judas' timetable, we find that Judas was more committed to a cause than he was to Christ. He was sold out to a movement, not the Messiah. And what if, think about this, what if the final sin... The final straw that led Judas to betray Jesus was not just greed, 
But what if it was just getting totally frustrated and impatient with God's timetable? You know, when I began thinking about that side of Judas, that's when I could see a lot of myself in Judas because I can easily get impatient with God. I mean, I want things to happen when I, when I want things to happen. And uh, typically I'll have my own timetable, and I, I usually believe my timetable is the best timetable. You know, you know what I mean? Anybody else here like that? I'll give you an example. Typically in the mornings I get up and I'll, and I'll read a little scripture, and I'll, I'll write, I like to write out a prayer, a journal of prayer uh, to God. This week I looked back at some of my prayers, and to be honest with you, a lot of times when I pray to God in the morning, my prayer kind of goes like this. God, here's what's going on in my life, you know, right now, in case you're not aware. And God, I've got three things that I need to do today. And, uh, you know, here's what I need you to do. God, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take care of this. I want you to bless this. I want you to take care of these people. And I need to hear a yes from you, God. Sometimes it's almost as if I treat God like he's my follower, my assistant, rather than the other way around. Sometimes it's almost like I treat God as if he's helping me carry out my mission rather than me helping carry out his mission. You know, let me ask, you ever treat God that way? Do you ever, get, you ever find yourself getting a little impatient with God? You know, for those of you that are parents, maybe, maybe you're a parent of an elementary age kid or, or middle school kid or, or high school age uh, uh, kid. You ever kind of made an agreement with God where you go, okay, God, you know, I'm going to start bringing my kids to church each week. And God, I know it's not going to be easy. I know it's going to be difficult. But God, I want to make sure that I get them here. And so you get them here and it's difficult. It's, it's not easy. But you get your kids here every uh, weekend, and then you kind of have this prayer uh, with God, and uh, you start your prayer by, prayer by saying, okay, God, I'm not sure if you're aware, and, and by the way, that's a terrible way to begin a prayer. God, I'm not sure if you're aware, but I've been getting my kid to class at church, you know, for two or three months now, or, or, or I've been getting my kid to the edge or to Slife, and God, I thought we had this deal. I thought we had, thought we had this deal that if I get them here, that you would fix them. Or somebody there would, would fix them up. But God, I'm not seeing a lot of changes in my kid. And I'm just saying, God, if you don't get going, if you don't hurry up, I'm going to take my kids and my family back into my own hands. I'm going I'm to take care of this my, myself. So let's get going. Or maybe you're single and uh, you've had a little prayer with God. You said, God, God, you know I've been wanting to get married for five years, ten years. God, you know that I'm being good. You know that I'm being pure. You know, I'm not out there in the clubs and the bars looking around. But God, I got to tell you, God, if you don't get going, God, I'm going to go to that country music show. I'm going to go to that country music jam, and uh, I'm going to find me somebody, okay? If you don't get going, you don't hurry up. Now, here's a lesson that I think we need to learn from Judas right here. Here it is. When patience runs out, watch out. When, when, when your patience runs out, Watch out, because you know what? That's when all kinds of damage in our lives gets done. See, I believe Judas was greedy, but I also think he was impatient. He was more committed to Christ, or more committed to a cause than he was committed to Christ. And I really want you to think about this principle and be patient. Be patient with, with God's timetable for your life. Because uh, just because you can't see God working doesn't mean that he's not working. Just because you don't see God working in your finances, in your family, 
in your friendships, in your marriage, in your job. Doesn't mean that God's not working. Be patient with God. God's timetable is always best for your life. All right, here's the third and final event. It's the evening of the Last Supper, and Jesus takes all of his uh, uh, apostles, the 12 apostles, to an upper room for a quiet dinner with them. And, and then in the middle of this dinner, Jesus just comes out and says, one of you is going to betray me tonight. And the scripture says that the apostles are shocked. They don't know what to do. They're looking around. They're like, you know, who, who is going to do this? Who is he talking about? And finally, it says Peter speaks to John. John sat right next to Jesus. And Peter says, hey, John, would you ask Jesus who he's talking about? I think he whispered. Doesn't say that in scripture, but I just think he probably whispered. And, and so John sitting right next to Jesus says, says hey, Jesus, who is it that you're talking about? That would probably be important for us to know. And Jesus says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this bread and I'm going to dip it in this dish. And whoever I hand the bread to, that's the one who's going to betray me. And so Jesus takes the bread, dips it in the dish, and he hands the bread to Judas. And Judas takes the bread and he leaves. And I want you to think about this. Judas leaves these guys that are his best friends. I mean, think about it. He has spent the last three years traveling and serving and ministering with these guys, and he leaves them, and he betrays Jesus. Here's the third principle. It's possible to just pretend to be Jesus' friend. It's possible for a person to just pretend to be Jesus' friend. And here's what just blows my mind about this part of the story. Even as late as the Last Supper, just a few hours uh, before Jesus gets betrayed and arrested, just a few hours before that, and no one thought of Judas as the betrayer. When Jesus said to them, hey, one of you is going to betray me, they had no idea who it was. They didn't all point to Judas and go, ha ha, Judas, you dog, we knew it was you. No, they had no, they had no clue. There was nothing odd or different or peculiar about Judas. And these other apostles, they accepted Judas. They trusted, they loved Judas. And here's where it gets a little challenging for us. Here's where this pushes on us a little bit because it's possible for us to blend in and appear to be a follower of, of Jesus. We, we can also look like a follower of Jesus and not really be a follower of, of Jesus. We can even look like a fully devoted follower of Jesus when actually we've already made plans to betray him. You know, if you think about it, on a typical weekend, hundreds and hundreds of people gather here in this room, and, and, and we, what we do in this room on the weekend is, is exactly the same thing that the apostles did in the upper room 2,000 years ago. We take a little bit of bread and a little bit of juice, and we have communion. We celebrate the Last Supper, and we remember Jesus. And sometimes, not always, uh, sometimes, and not, not everyone but sometimes we do this with the knowledge that later today or tomorrow or this next week, we might turn our backs on Jesus. I'm just saying it's possible that some of us here right now have already scheduled some sin on our calendar. And, you know, we already know where and we already know when. We might turn our back on Jesus. But I want to try my best to persuade you that you can make the choice to just erase that future sin off your calendar. You can make the choice right now because you haven't done it. You haven't done it yet, and so don't do it. Make that decision right now, not to turn your back on Jesus. Decide right now that you're not going to fall back 
into that same old sin. Make that, make that decision. You know, I think for many of us, myself included, what, what really causes us grief and guilt and shame are not the sins we committed before we started following Jesus. It's the sins we committed after we became Christians and started following uh, him. There's a verse in the New Testament in Romans chapter 7. It's something Paul says, and I know this probably shouldn't bring me great comfort, but it does, and I'm going to share it with you, and maybe it'll bring you some comfort. Paul says this, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. In other words, Paul struggled. Paul struggled with, with sin. Paul says, Paul says, what do we do when we do what we don't want to do, which is something we're all going to do. What do we do when that happens, when we fall short, when, when, we, when we mess up? Well, there are two different ways to respond. First of all, and this is a no-brainer, don't follow Judas' example. Don't follow Judas' example. Because of what Judas has, had done, he was filled with shame and guilt and remorse and regret. And it says he ended his life. Uh, Matthew 27 says he went out and he hanged himself. And I want to pause here, and I want to just say something about this, because I don't think we talk about this enough in, in church, about ending uh, our life, about suicide. But we hear a lot about suicide in the world that we live in. And I just want to say that if you have ever contemplated this, or if you are contemplating this, that suicide is never, ever the answer. It is never the answer. If you, are, if you have contemplated this in the past or in the present, I just want to say to you, there is hope and there is help and there is healing and forgiveness in Jesus Christ, no matter who you are and no matter what you've done. And if this is something that's on your mind today, I want to ask you, I want to plead with you, I want to beg you, before you leave today, would you, would you stop? Would you talk to somebody? Come to the connect wall in the lobby. We would love to talk with you. Don't listen to that soundtrack of shame in your mind anymore. Don't follow Judas' example. But instead, here's what you should do. Here's what I should do when we fall, when we mess up, when we sin. Follow Peter's example. Did you know that Peter was also an apostle? And he also betrayed Jesus, just like Judas. Peter denied Jesus. Peter disowned Jesus disowned Jesus. Right before Jesus got arrested, Jesus told Peter, look at this, this very night, later this night, before the roost, rooster's going to crow, and you will, before then, you will disown me three times. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. Right, right after Peter disowned Jesus for the third time, here's what he heard. Yeah, sound of the rooster. And I have no doubt that Peter was filled with regret and guilt and shame, just like Judas. But instead of ending his life, Peter decided to change his life. And I know that's easier said than, than, than done. And I know what some of you are probably thinking, but Pastor Ben, you don't know what I've done. And you're right. I know sometimes your past can be difficult to get past. But I know it's possible with Jesus Christ in your life. I mean, think about Peter. Peter disowns Jesus three times. He hears the rooster crow, and he feels guilty. And then for the rest of his life, because of where he lived and because of the time when he lived, every morning when Peter would get up, do you know what sound he would hear? Every morning he would hear a rooster for the rest of his life. Even when he served Jesus, even when he did good for other people, even when he was baptizing other people, every morning he would hear a rooster reminding him, you betrayed Jesus. 
You know, how dare you think that you can do anything for God? You're just a mess up. You're just a no count. Every single day, he would hear a crowing rooster. And you know what? Some of us here, some of you wake up in the morning and you hear a rooster reminding you of your past, saying things like, you know, who are you to do something good for your family? Who are you to sign up and serve at church? Who are you to host a group? You're just an addict, a drug addict, a porn addict, uh, alcoholic, a liar. You're just lying all the time. An adulterer, a thief, a quitter, a cheater. And you know what some of us need to do? You know what many of us need to do? You need to make the decision in your life to silence the roosters. You need to make a decision that I'm not going to allow what happened in my past to determine my future. You need to silence the roosters in your life. This week I read a story. It was in a book by Max Lucado about Booker T. Washington. Booker T. Washington and his family, they were slaves in the United States of America. And Booker talked about how every morning when, when he would get up, they would hear the crow of a rooster. And uh, Booker and his family and all the slaves, they despised that rooster because the crow of the rooster reminded them of their slavery. It reminded them every day that they would have to engage in back-breaking labor. Booker T. says, we hated the crow of the rooster. But then he says this, one day came the Emancipation Proclamation. Abraham Lincoln signed it into place, and in that one moment, all the slaves were set free. Booker says the next morning after the emancipation, he woke up to the sound of the rooster again, but this time, the, roo the reason the rooster was crowing was because his mom was chasing the rooster around the barnyard with an ax. And they killed their alarm clock, and they ate it for lunch. Booker T says, how many of you know that sometimes the first step out of slavery is to silence the rooster? And that's what some of us need to do today. Here's, here's the takeaway today. What rooster from your past do you need to silence? What rooster, what voice from your past do you need to silence today? Because I promise you, when you walk out of here, you're going to start to hear the rooster. Maybe even by the time you get to your car. Scripture says that we have an accuser by the name of Satan. And he loves to remind us of our past failures. And you know what you do when that happens? When Satan reminds you of your past, uh, you, you, you remind him of his future. And you remind him that you have been emancipated by a proclamation of Jesus Christ. And you are free, and you are forgiven, and you are redeemed because of what Jesus Christ has done in your life. To help us silence our roosters, our team is going to teach us a new song. It's a, it's a gr great song, beautiful message about what Jesus Christ has done for us. And then we're going to share communion. But we're going to do it a little bit different today. During the, during the song, we're going to pass the communion trays. And I want you to, and you're welcome to take the, the cup. Our communion is open to anyone who says yes to what Jesus has done. But I want you to hold the cup and think about the words of this song and then after the song is done, I'm going to come back up and I'll lead us and we'll take communion together.